Actually, the um, I was kind of neat. The messages overlapped a little bit, and so yesterday, or last week, I should say, um, we were some of the past or some of the verses that I was supposed to speak on got touched on, which is good because it allows me to focus in on one verse, which we get to do today. It's going to be uh, Titus 1, verse 16. So if you want to get there already, that would be great. I wanted to challenge us, um, and I think I wanted to challenge us just because I knew how I had been coming to uh, Sunday morning teaching time lately, and uh, so I'm not throwing out any accusations, but I'm just saying um, where I've been and where I need to get. Um, I want to start doing a better job of viewing this time as more important. It's very easy for me to come in and sit down and start to kind of just veg and just kind of listen from afar, and yet... um, we're told from Scripture that, that when someone opens God's Word, we need to be attentive to listen because God's Word is powerful and is, is useful. for. And we need to be a church that gets ready to work when it's time um, for Sunday morning messages. We need to be a church that is ready to let God Himself start to change us, start to come into the places that we've maybe closed off to Him and, and allow Him to open that up and uh, to turn it back towards Himself. And that will not happen if we are not actively engaging, I think that's a good word, actively engaging into the Sunday morning messages. Regardless of um, presentation, how it's being presented, if it's truth, we need to, by the Spirit of God, work hard to get into that message and and see where it's going to change our lives. And this morning, I've got to encourage us that we do that, that we let God um, use His Spirit to really start to change us. Because that's what we want. We want life change, don't we? There's no other real purpose to coming um, Sunday mornings just to, to have a quaint little get-together time. We want to come and we want to know more about God and we want to become more like Him. Um, so let's pray to that end and we'll get started. Father, we just thank You for the promise that Your Word will never return void. God, we thank You that um, You are gracious to us, that You want to continue to move us out of our comfort zone, out of where we are, and towards Yourself, God, um, towards being like Your Son, Jesus. God, there's, there's going to be a time when we see You face to face and we are made perfect like Jesus. I'm excited for that day. But until then, You have work to do on us, so let us uh, just get out of the way and let You do the work, I pray in Your name. Amen. How well do you know them? I want to play a little game with you this morning. How well do you know them? And I only got to do six, but... We'll, we'll start. You guys, okay, wait to the very end because I'll ask the questions at the end. Who am I? Okay, I read a, a brief description. These may or may not be totally accurate, but here we go. <laughs> who am I? I remember the great... These are people in our church, by the way. Okay, that narrows it down a little bit. <laughs> who am I in the world? No, in our church. <laughs> I remember the Great Depression because I was there. I be, I've been a believer for 70 plus years. By trade, I was a chemist. I tested flour for a flour company. I love peanut butter and I will eat it on just about anything. I once put it on a taco to gross up my grandkids. I have ridden my exercise bike just about every morning since my heart attack back in 1979. I fall asleep every night reading God's Word. Who am I? Grandpa Phil. Very good. Way to wait on it. That was the easy one. We'll keep getting hopefully harder. Who am I? My parents adopted me from an orphanage. I used to water ski every summer with the rich kids from my high school. I went to Storybook Lodge Bible Camp in the summers growing up. 
I have chipped my front teeth on numerous occasions. And when it happens, I refer to myself as a bag lady. I have coordinated, decorated, cooked for over 50, well over 50 weddings. Even to this day, my kids might push me over the brink. Who am I? Betty. I had my first summer job in a bottle company. I worked with a man that would howl like a wolf when he got excited. The first thing I ever said to my future wife was, did you cut your leg shaving? I was a founding member of Lost Timber Bible Camp in Minnesota, and I performed well over 50 weddings. Who am I? Left. This one's getting difficult, more difficult here. Those are warm-ups. I was an excellent swimmer in high school. I helped in leading the girl of my dreams to the Lord, even though one of my best friends gets credit for, finishing, for the finishing touches. I married that girl and made her change her last name, which was L-O-V-E, Love. I've played in a band with someone that also goes to this church since early high school. Our band name has changed at least 15 times. I recently helped get Micah Young and Benji Levins promoted at work. Nate Who Hall. am I? All right, Nate Hall. <laughs> at what point did you know that? L-O-V-E? Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good. I am an MK. That means missionary kids. Victor! <laughs> <laughs> I have always hated my brother and been jealous of him. No, I'm just <laughs> It's not you. (laughs) I am an MK and soon to be returning to the motherland. I have a twin, but no one really knows or believes it. I sing opera, but I am currently out of practice. I am currently way into makeup artistry. The first time I met Benji, I despised him and his frosty blonde highlights. (laughs) Who am I? Leah Young. She tells me, it's, at work, she tells me at least once a day how, you know, when I first met you, Benji, I did not like you. <laughs> it's like, I get it, let it go. <laughs> All right. I was born and raised in Dubuque in a huge family. I ended up marrying a, another girl from a well-known family in Dubuque. I was a state champion wrestler in high school. I was then in school for an exciting career as an insurance adjuster. I instead chose to take over the family business. I once was attacked by a raccoon. I fell, on, fell off the side of a building three stories up and rode thousands of pounds of brick and scaffolding to the ground. I broke my ankle. <laughs> I once broke my foot, and the doctor put it into a specialized boot and told me to stay off it for at least three weeks. I went to work the next day in my boot. <laughs> I kept working even though Benji told me I was a moron when the boot almost made me fall from about 15 feet up. I thrive on trying to get something done when people say there is no way I can do it. Who am I? <laughs> That is Jason. And I have one last, that was the last one, but I have one, one more from some interesting knowledge I gained yesterday. Okay, I, uh, let's see, I can do it from, all right. I was raised on a farm in Iowa. I uh, had three siblings. I was so old looking in high school that when I would play my varsity basketball games, the opposing crowds would start chanting, fifth year senior. <laughs> Who am I? Brett That's Brett Hoven. <laughs> And with good cause. At his house is a picture of him with a goatee that makes him look 36. (laughs) It was unbelievable. It's not not what we know about people. It's not the details or or the facts that that we know about people. I think all of us could kind of do some facts and start to recognize one, one another. 
But to actually know someone goes beyond just knowing facts about them, doesn't it? Think of uh, the person maybe that knows you the best. Um, for me at this point, the person that knows me the best is my wife, both for the good and the bad. Let me tell you, I hate getting in arguments with my wife because she knows me. I hate trying to pull things over <laughs> my wife's eyes because she knows me. And she has an amazing ability to know, and not always, sometimes she gets it wrong, falsely, my motives, why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, what is driving me to do something, and she can call me on it. She can do it that way, and also she can recognize, because who I am if I'm hurting, exactly what she needs to do to, to comfort me, to help me, because she actually knows me. You know what I mean by that? She knows more than the, the fact that I grew up in Iowa. She knows more than the details of, of my life. She knows who I am and, and what makes me click and, and what makes me function and what drives me and motivates me and, and all the details that, that make up the sum of who I am. And the cool thing is we're still getting to know one another. Um, Titus, who can read Titus for me? Titus chapter 1, verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Hmm. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. Who can give me a little context of what we've been talking about? Who is this verse specifically talking about here um, in this verse? A little trivia, see if you've been paying attention. The Judaizers, right? The false teachers, the people that were um, making trouble in the church. And here it is. It's talking about them, how they claimed that they knew God. I think I lost a sheet somewhere. They claimed that they knew God, and yet by the way that they were acting, by the, their own behavior, they were proving that they did not have a relationship with God. They were proving that, in fact, they did not know Him um, because of how, how they were acting. Here it is. Verse, go to 1 John 3.10 if you could. This has another thing to say about people like that that say they know God and then yet act a different way. 1 John 3.10 By this the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. Everyone who does not practice righteousness, the one who does not love his fellow Christian, is not of God. See, the lives of these people, as much as they said they knew God, as much as they said that they had special, special revelation from God, as much as they said that they um, had this relationship with the God of the universe, their behavior showed otherwise, didn't it? The fact that, that they were treating people poorly, the, the fact that they were not demonstrating God's love, like this verse states so many people do, proved that they are false. This passage we've been talking about, like we said, the Judaizers, and I, I want to do a few things today. Um, and we can get to the, what I was saying before, since we overlapped a little, we get to focus in just on this verse. And so what I want to do is, is look at this verse, um, and I want to see where this concept fits into our lives. Now, most of us here have placed our faith in Jesus and in doing so um, have had our identity completely changed. Those of us that have, that have 
been forgiven of our sins, those of us that have been um, regenerated, that have new birth, we're a new creation found in God. And our identity is wrapped up in God. And so in that way, because of that relationship, you know God because of what Jesus did. You've been brought into a relationship with Him. And yet I think as we look around, it's clearly demonstrated that, that some of us know God more than others. Uh, and you look at the life of different people and you, under, you start to, to understand, well, maybe I, maybe I really don't, don't know God as much as I thought I did. And uh, so I don't want to minimize the fact that because of what Jesus has done, you know God. You have a relationship with God if you have placed your faith in Him. That can never be taken away from you. And yet some of us, and, and, and let, me, let me start over with saying some of us. I believe there's ways that all of us have said that we know God and yet in our actions have, have denied Him. There's two stages what I want to do today with this verse. First, I want to look at the negative concept, the negative self-examination um, onto our body here. And as we're doing that, as we're looking at that, I really want you to do what we talked about earlier, engaging. I want you to search through the areas in your life that maybe you're not even aware of at this point and ask God to reveal to you the ways in which you are denying Him with how you're living. These negative examples were perfect descriptions for those false teachers. And uh, there's outrage when you read this that someone would dare to say they know God and then act in a way that was not according to God's ways, isn't there? And yet a healthy self-examination will, will look at yourself, find the ways in which you're doing that, and really be upset about it, right? Uh, there has to be a, something within us that, that says, wait, this isn't right. This has to change when we recognize the ways in which we are not measuring up to who God is. And when we look at God and say we know Him, and yet with, with who we are, we go against the very nature and, and person of who God is. That has to um, impact us. I want to um, say as a truth that everyone has denied God at some point in their walk. Um, Peter gives us an example of someone that physically had the opportunity to deny God. Right in the person. With Jesus himself, deny God. John 13, if you want to turn there. This is a little bit unfair because Peter denies Jesus right to his face, right? And, and right when, when Jesus is standing right next to him and, and poor Peter gets written about and so we all look, oh yeah, Peter denied God. And yet, when I deny God, no one else gets to see it for the most part. Isn't that true? So a little bit unfair, but let's read about what Peter did. John 13:37 says this. Peter said to him, "Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you." Jesus answered, "Will you lay down your life for me? I tell you the solemn truth. The rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times." Galatians 4:9 if you could turn there. Peter had the opportunity to follow Jesus where no one else would, if you remember the story. This was uh, moments after Jesus had predicted his betrayal and predicted his death. And Peter, with all the confidence in the world, steps up and says, listen, even though everyone else falls away, I'm going to be true. I'm going to stick with you. 
And Jesus hits him with, with news that, man, think of the context here. He's, he's saying this proclamation in front of all of his friends, the disciples, right? He's saying it in front of Jesus. Think of the embarrassment um, when Jesus replies to Peter and says, listen, Peter, you just said that you would lay down your life for me, but I've got to tell you something. When the time comes for you to lay your life down for me, you're going to deny me. And not just once, three times. Think of the embarrassment that must have been for Peter to, to have the Lord say that to him. If he's anything like me, his pride would have been instantly hurt and he would have said, no, no, that can't be true. It's not going to happen. Um, the concept of lay your life down for me is a inst- uh, really interesting one. I remember Scott Warren one time gave the example a while, a while ago how um, he felt like for his wife, he would be able to lay his life down for her on a one, one-time thing. You know, if a robber came in and, and, and he was, had the chance to jump in front of a bullet for his wife, he said, yeah, absolutely. No question, I would jump in front of a bullet um, for, that, for that lady. You know, I would give my life I would lay down my life for that, that lady. And uh, the Bible says, um, there's no greater love than this, than he that what? For his friend, right? And so what a noble concept. And yet Scott continued to say, but here's the thing with laying down your life for your wife. He says, that's a one-time thing. That's an, an instant, a moment, a, an instinct. That's easy. The hard thing is laying down your life every day for that wife. And the concept, I think, can be translated back to this relationship we have with, with the Lord, can it? Peter said, I will lay my life down for you. And I've never been asked um, to have my life taken in exchange for, um, for the Lord. Do you know what I mean by that? I've never been asked to be martyred. And yet I have had several chances daily, right? As soon as I wake up in the morning to lay down my life for the Lord. And yet I want to tell you that on a regular basis, I pulled a Peter and uh, denied Jesus. Galatians 4.9, are you there? Let's read that. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, I like that, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? But now that you have come to be known by God, or sorry, have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how it is that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? I can relate to that verse way too much. This is a, a book called Desiring God by John Piper. I don't know if any of you have read it. I encourage you to read it. Some excellent thoughts to, to chew on and to, to see if there's truth um, that he's writing. One of the things he reads, this has been kind of a a powerful statement. This is actually a quote from C.S. Lewis. But C.S. Lewis said there, this, If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit this, that that notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, 
when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Listen to this. We are far too easily pleased. I want to present this, and this is kind of a hard truth, and and maybe you need to, to examine it and see if this is true in your life. Um, I want to read this and, and, and see if this uh, helps at all. Again, we're still on that the negative, which we'll get off of here soon. But uh, Let's examine ourselves as we read this. I think this is a true statement. It is not that we don't know how to know Him. And the Him is, is God. So it, it is not that we don't know how to know God. He's made it easy to understand how to know Him. He said, Abide in me, and I in you. 1 John 2, 3 and 6 said, Now by this we know that we have come to know God if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know God, and yet does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in such a person. But whoever obeys His word, truly, in this person, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says He resides in God ought Himself to walk just as Jesus walked. 1 John 5.20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us insight to know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, this one is the true God and eternal life. You see, I don't think it's, it's difficult to know how to know God. That understanding has been made clear. Do you, do you track what I'm, what I'm saying on that? Don't, don't you think God has made it clear that there's no other way to, to, to know Him through, without being in this book? That's, kind of, that's something we learn um, early on in our Christian walk, isn't it? And I, KT does that. That's a KT move. Yeah, emphasis on this. But we learn that right away, don't we? That, that without being in God's Word, which reveals who God is to us, there's, there's zero chance for us to know Him, isn't it? Isn't there? We understand that. So we, then if, if we're smart beings, which we all are, I, I say that some smarter than others, but we all can get the concept that we can go to this Word if we want to know God. So then this becomes a scary thing then. Why don't we know God? Why don't we know God like we should? And I want to present this, and this is an ugliness in my own heart, but the reason I don't know God the way I should is not because I don't know how to know God. It's because I don't want to know God. You see, if, if I really wanted to know God, it, it goes back, I remember when Michael um, was doing so great with being disciplined on losing so much weight. And KT and I were right there with him. And at first we were doing good, losing weight, and then we, you know, we started whining to him about these plateaus. And he said, listen, if I'm being honest, I think, I think the truth is that you guys just don't want to lose the weight. You'd rather eat the food. 
You'd rather enjoy the food. He said, if you really wanted to lose weight, you'd be able to do it because you know how. And that stuck with me, and I think the same is true. If we wanted to know God, we'd get to know Him. He has done nothing but make opportunities for us to get to know Him. Am I right? Doesn't it seem even He has provided this, the freedom, and in our country, the freedom to come together for the sole purpose of understanding who He is? To letting um, our lives become connected to His life, to who He is? He's made that opportunity really easy for us. And so I think it is a scary conclusion, but I think we've got to go there and, and, and let the Spirit push on us a little there and, and realize that if we don't know God the way we're supposed to know God, it's because something inside of you does not want to know God. Oh, that's crazy. Why would we not want to know God, right? Why would, we, why would we want to purposely not know what we know to be the best thing in the world, God Himself, right? Why would we do that? And yet, um, I think part of it is because of what Jesus said in Mark, verse 8, 34. He said this, And He summoned the crowd with His disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up His cross and follow Me. If anyone wishes to come after Me, I think it's okay to paraphrase. Maybe we can put this in here. If, if anyone wishes to know Me, to come after Me, to be one with Me, to abide with Me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow Me. See, I think the reason that we don't want to know God the way God wants to know us is that we know the cost. We know what it costs to really know God and to live like we know God in a personal relationship. And if you're anything like me, my flesh hates that thought of giving up what it clings to the most Someone saying, lose everything so that you can gain the world. Or lose everything so you can gain. Or what, what's the, the quote that's always quoted? Did anyone quote it? He is no fool. And I think that is where we need to come with our hearts as far as where God needs to work on us. It's how um, do we get to the point, God, of, of not just... Um, settling for this partial knowledge of who you are. And not just settling for where I am in, in my spiritual life, God, but where do I get to the point where I desire nothing but you? Why do we want to know God? Is it worth it? I want to present some things I wrote down here. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a good thing about knowing God, right? Rest, real peace. Why do we want to know God? In God, there is purpose and identity. In God, we find our worth and our meaning. In God, we find the only true satisfaction. 
In God, we find the only thing that can ever hold our attention. In God, we find the source of our desires and our dreams and our ambitions. In God, we find the source of life. He has invited us to Himself to taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, has anyone, anyone recognized this book? we have any readers out there? Has anyone read um, Ted Decker? He has a series. He's a Christian author. You've read him, Micah? Have you read this book before? Pretty phenomenal book. Let me, I, I, I'm becoming more and more of a reader, which is crazy, because why read the book when you can rent the movie? But this one, um, they haven't made a movie yet, so I read the book. And I encourage you to, to get a hold of it, too. This is a book. He has a whole series set up, and, and it's, it's an imaginary place where um, the lead character comes to a world uh, it's a, a whole other alternate, re- alternate reality where evil and good manifests itself physically. And uh, in this world, Elion in the book is a type of God and he has created uh, this perfect haven for the ones that he loves. And he has separated evil from his haven. Um, which the evil part is called the Black Force, but I want you have to read the book. But the, the head person, what, what do you call, what's a better word to say, the more smart way of saying the head guy in the, in the book, lead character, seems like there's like got to be a, even more smarter, what, the protagonist, <laughs> it's Tom, yeah that's, that's way better than main character, sorry, <laughs> the protagonist in this book, Thomas Hunter, uh, finds himself as a man that, that um, was scorned by a father that was a preacher, that had an affair, and so he walked away from his faith. And so here is a man that does not believe God, that has uh, never allowed himself to experience it, has done nothing but deny God. And I want to read you this excerpt, and it's going to take just a few minutes. I'm doing okay, I think, on time. Um, and allow, if you could, this, um, this concept. When I first read it, and I'll stop short because it's too long, but allow the concept of what someday it might look like when we get the chance to meet God face to face what that will be like. And then allow our minds to understand that in, in many ways God has already invited us to meet Him in, in the most personal way that we can imagine. And really, if He's truly given us everything we need for life and godliness, then it, it, it is true that He will allow us to know Him in incredibly deep ways. Uh, let's read this. Home. This was home, and Thomas could hardly stand the fact that he'd ever doubted it. They had walked no more than ten minutes when Thomas first heard the distant thunder. A tingle ran over his skin as the thunder grew. He picked up his pace again. The thunder grew louder, and a rumble low and deep and powerful enough to send a faint tremor through the ground. Thomas sprinted. He ran around a sweeping bend in the road, heart-pounding, and then the path ended abruptly. Thomas slid to a halt. Before him sprawled a great circular lake, glowing fluorescent with the same emerald water that contained the black forest. The lake was lined with huge, evenly spaced, gleaming trees set back 40 paces from white sandy shore. On the far side, a towering pearl cliff shimmered with ruby and topaz hues. Over the cliff poured a huge waterfall, which throbbed with green and golden light and thundered into the water a hundred meters below. 
The rising mist captured light from the trees, giving the appearance that colors arose out of the lake itself. Here there could hardly be a difference between day and night. To his right, the river he had seen along the path flowed. All of this Thomas registered before his first blink. He took a few tentative steps down the shore and then stopped, feet planted in the sand. He wanted to run to the water's edge and drink, but suddenly he wasn't sure he could move. A chill descended down Thomas's spine, from the nape of his neck to the soles of his feet. An inexplicable fear smothered him. Sweat seeped from his pores despite a cool wind blowing across the lake. Something was wrong, all wrong. He stepped back, mind grasping for a thread of reason. Instead, the fear gave way to terror, and he ran up the bank. The moment he crested the bank, the fear fell from him like loose shackles. He turned back. In that moment, Thomas knew he had to drink the water. The waterfall suddenly seemed to crash a little harder, and a large surge of spray rose from the lake. Mist drifted toward him. He could see it coming. It billowed over the shore. It hit him in the face, no more than a faint sprinkling of moisture, but it could have been a shockwave. Thomas gasped. His hands fell to the sand, eyes wide. The terror was gone. Only the desire remained. Raw, desperate desire, pulling at his aching heart with the power of absolute vacuum. In that moment, knowing what he must do, when he wanted most desperately to do, Thomas tore from his feet, from the sand and sprinted for the water's edge. He did not stop at the shore and stoop to drink as others had done. Instead, he dived headlong over the posture of Meckel who was standing at the glowing waters, screaming all the way. The instant Thomas hit the water, his body shook violently. A blue strobe exploded in his eyes and he knew that he was going to die, that he had entered a forbidden pool pulled by the wrong desire, and now he would pay with his life. The warm water engulfed him. Flutters rippled through his body and erupted into boiling heat that knocked the wind from his lungs. The shock alone might kill him. But he didn't die. In fact, it was pleasure that racked his body. Not death. Pleasure. The sensations coursed through his bones in great, relenting waves. Elion. How he was certain, he did not know. But he knew that Elion was in the lake with him. You've got to keep reading in it. And yet you read of the exchange between um, a man desperate for God, finding God, and how God drew him in and then reveals himself to him and uh, how this guy has changed forever because he allowed himself to dive into who God was. We have been invited to do this. We have been um, begged to do this by our Father. In fact, He prepared the way um, through His own Son. Philippians 3, 7-10 says this, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. You see, Jesus is inviting us to know Him in an extraordinary way, a life-changing way, a life-satisfying way. And yet, I've decided to go to the edge of that lake. I've decided to maybe tip my toe into it. Or every once in a while, maybe splash on myself a little bit of that, that lake water. And yet, in that book that we read, um, and work with me here, I know it's just a story, but in the book that we read, Thomas Hunter did what I believe God would be most honored by if we did. And that would be plunge into who He is. To dive into Him. To, with complete abandon, seek who He is. Seek to be changed. Seek to become like Him. And my own selfishness, my own desire, my own inability to count the cost, see how worthwhile it is, has kept me from knowing God the way I'm supposed to. And so instead of a life of fulfillment every day with the joy that I can't express, I'm left to sit on the sidelines while I watch other giants of, of the faith do what I most desperately want to do. God is calling us to come to Him, to know Him, and His reward will be Him, will be Himself, the greatest reward that is offered. Uh, there's a song that I've been hearing on the way um, to work several times. And at first I didn't understand what it was saying. And then it was kind of neat because as I was getting ready for this verse, and then right after I read um, that passage, I heard it again on the way home. Uh, and, and it made sense. Sam, if you would put the words up on the screen first. And then um, we're going to play the song. It's, it's a group called Addison Road. And it's called, What Do I Know of Holy? And uh, she's using the, the title of God as holy. And it's asking, what do I even know of you, God? Um, and I just really related to these words. And uh, I hope this isn't a distraction, but we're actually going to play the music. And if you could, just really try to focus on the words. And during that time, I, I, I just really, God really uses music to touch me and really uses music to um, communicate Himself to me in so many times. So I'd ask that you'd let the Spirit try to do that for you. That you would uh, focus on the words and, and, and ask God to take anything that's in the way of you knowing Him more and help you just to throw it aside. Uh, Sam, if you could play that song, it would be great. So that each one of us can lean on one another in this journey to know Him better. Um, and it's my prayer, and I know that the prayer um, of many, that this church would be the kind of church that, that would take seriously the call to know Him and to, to be transformed into being like Him. Um, let's not settle. Let's not be a church that, that will allow mediocrity, but let's, uh, let's go deeper. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much that You have made a way um, for us to come to You. God, even that song that said, Wounds that heal my shame... God, you've done that for me. Uh, you've made the way for me uh, to come into fellowship with you. You've made a way for me to, to come and rest in you, to get my purpose from you, 
to get my satisfaction from you, and yet, God, I, I confess that there's so many times that um, I've been lazy enough to say that's not good enough for me. God, please take me away from that place and, and change us uh, into the people that just desire you with our full heart. We'll not stop seeking you until you've blessed us uh, beyond what we can imagine. I pray, God, that you'd help us in that in your name. Amen.